salvation, this relationship with God. And so I hope that you realize that in this time that God isn't silenced just because we have to be shelter in place. Right? That God's mission is not sheltered in place. That, that God's gospel hasn't been frozen into our homes and that God is still marching into the world. In fact, God is still shouting into the world. He may be shouting into the world into ears that haven't had that haven't been open to him um, ever before, or certainly for a long time. In the midst of those ears that are now being opened up, God is speaking His gospel. Is that you? Right? Are you sitting here and like I, I'm going to check out this church thing, this this worship thing from from my house? I haven't done that in a long time. I haven't I haven't heard anything about God in a long time, maybe ever. But with all of the stuff going on in the world and all the uncertainty, I'm going to listen. Well, here's what you're listening for. There is a God who is holy and perfect, and he made you. And he made you for a relationship with himself. And he loves you. But you are sinful and you are separated. Your sin, you were born in sin, and then you sin by your choices, and you sin by your words, and you sin by your thoughts, and you sin by the things you don't do, and you sin by the things you do. And that sin separates you from this holy, perfect, wonderful God who made you for himself. And there's no way back. You can't get back through, uh, through religious activities. You can't get back through going to church. You're not even allowed to go to church now. You've got to do that online. You can't get back through giving, through showing up. You can only get back if, because he came to you. And so God sent his son into the world. The sinless one, Jesus Christ, who lived the life you should live. It was perfect. He was tempted in every way, just like you, but he never sinned. And then he died on a cross for your sins, and he rose again from the dead to vindicate all that he said was true. And now he offers you life. So what do you do if your ears are open for the first time? You acknowledge your sin. You acknowledge your separation. You acknowledge your desire to rule yourself. And then you turn. You turn towards God and away from yourself, and you put your faith in Jesus alone to save you. And it says he will. Today we're going to be in Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39. For those of us who, are, who have been God's people for a while, Romans 8 has a special place in our hearts. It's one of the most comforting passages. Romans is, is spoken of very often as the pinnacle of the Bible, and Romans 8 is the pinnacle of Romans. The pinnacle of comfort, the pinnacle of hope. And as we look at Palm Sunday and as we start looking at the cross and the crucifixion, I wanted the message of hope to be the message that we hear. So let's listen to Romans 8, 31 through 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies who is he who condemned to condemn Christ Jesus, the one who died more than that, who is raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, 
nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Pray with me. Father, in the middle of our suffering and our struggle and the strangeness of the way life is right now, guard our hearts from being tempted to think of you differently than you are. Guard our hearts, Father, from thinking that your love is in question. Guard our hearts from thinking that your power is in question. And Father, as we go into this week of celebration of the final week of Jesus' earthly life, this week where he is proclaimed king and he is also proclaimed uh, to, to be crucified by his people, this week with the darkness of the cross and the brightness of the resurrection, God, I pray that as we walk through this, God, that the shadows of darkness would remind us of our salvation and that, that the coming resurrection would remind us of of hope and new dawns. And Lord, that we would walk through it celebrating that our hope is not earthly, our hope is eternal. Celebrating that all that matters is secure because you've secured it and it's not shaken and it doesn't change. And God, that there's nothing going on in this world, in this culture, in this virus right now that can touch one eternal thing that you've promised us. And so, Father, help us to see and help us to celebrate and help us to enjoy and help us to worship. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we look at this text, the cross secures us in God's love. The cross secures us in God's love. Let's look at the first point here. The cross declares us righteous, so no charges or condemnation can stick to us. The cross declares us righteous, so no charges or condemnation can stick to us. I want you to think for a second. Where do the accusations in your life come from? Right? For many of us, there have been accusations that have been leveled uh, throughout our lives by other people. And so maybe it's parents that we grew up with and we never quite measured up. We never quite were good enough to hear uh, they're proud of us. Uh, maybe they left. Or maybe it's a spouse who has betrayed us. Or maybe it's a, a spouse and we're currently in a fight and we're currently in struggle. And like we're stuck in this house together and things aren't going great. And the accusations of this relationship is that neither of us is good enough and we're, and we're hurling them at each other. Maybe it comes from kids. Maybe it comes from coworkers. Maybe it comes from those who are opposed to your faith. But the accusations are you're not good enough. You don't measure up. You haven't lived up to who you're supposed to be. Or maybe your accusations come from Satan, and they're very true accusations. Look, you lost your temper again. Look, you gossiped again. Look, you retreated in fear again. And you know the guilt of your life, and you know that the guilt of your heart when these accusations come. Or maybe you're like me, and the greatest accusations of your life aren't the ones you hear out there. And they're not even the ones you hear from a spiritual enemy. They're the ones you hear from inside. And you look in the mirror and you, and you think, man, I have blown it again. I'm not good enough. I don't measure up. I have failed again. I've sinned again. 
I'm, I'm guilty. I'm not good enough. Or maybe you look in the mirror and it's like, I don't, and it's not the sin that you struggle with, but the accusations of the mirror are that you don't look good enough, or you're not strong enough, or you're not pretty enough, or you're not thin enough, or you're not big enough, or you're not whatever enough. And the accusations of your heart rise up against you over and over again about your frailty or over and over again about your your guilt. Where do your accusations come from? And against all the background of accusation that may come into your life, there is one defining voice. There is one defining word. And here's what God declares to you that is doesn't matter what the world declares. Here's what God declares to you. It doesn't matter what Satan says. Here's what God declares to you. It doesn't matter what your heart says to you. What God declares to you is that you are righteous. You are holy. You are right with him. You are loved by him. You are accepted by him. You're good enough, not because you're good enough, but because Jesus was good enough for you. And that's the word that is meant to be played over the the tape of your heart, that you're forever stamped righteous. And so let the recording of your heart that plays over and over again be the recording of God's voice and not the other voice, the voice of, of freedom from condemnation and freedom from accusation, not the voice of accusation. You see, because by the cross, because of this week that we're celebrating, accusations have been removed and the work is finished. And it's been stamped over you. And so fight the accusations of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Because the one sovereign God of the universe has already declared his sentence. He's already declared us righteous. Let's look at it in the text. He starts out and he says, what shall we say to these things? And so a natural question might be like, what things? And so most uh, scholars say this points back from Romans 5.1 up until now. Some might say it's the whole book. But here's just a few things. Like, what shall we say to these things? Well, in chapter 5, we have peace with God by faith. Therefore, we can rejoice in our suffering because it's working out in us uh, the love of God that's been poured out in our hearts. That's chapter 5. We were dead in Adam, but now we're alive in Christ. Uh, chapter uh, 5. We were slaves to sin, but we've died with Christ. We've been raised with Christ, and now we're no longer slaves to sin. Chapter 6 of Romans. Chapter 7, the the evil I don't want to do, I keep on doing it, right? And the good I want to do, I don't do that. And so here's the good news. I have been delivered from this body of death by Jesus Christ my Lord. Chapter 7. And then throughout chapter 8, there's all these things that pile up on top of each other to, to lead to the passage that we're dealing with. And so I've been adopted the, the passage says in verse 15, I'm co-heirs with Christ. Verse 17, I have the spirit as a guarantee of the eternal promises of redemption that God has given me. Verse 23, God is working all things to my good if I love him and I'm called according to his purpose. And the Holy Spirit himself is groaning with, word, with utterings too deep for words on my behalf. 27 and 28, I am a guilty sinner who has been declared justified and right. And the eternal future for me is so certain and so guaranteed that it's spoken of like it's in the past tense and it's already happened, verse 30. And so what shall we say to all these things? If God is for us, who could possibly be against us? Now, that is something that I think we as Christians especially, and certainly those beyond Christianity that on the outside looking in, like they don't realize this is the statement about God. God is for you. Right? God is not against you. God is not ready to strike you. 
God is for everyone who is in Christ Jesus. He's on your team. He's on your side. He's more on your side than you are. And so it's kind of like I, I, I thought about this with, with my kids. Like, you know, of course, I'm the dad that's too strict. Then I'm the dad that has too many rules. And, uh, you know, I lecture too much. And there's like all these things that, that they look at and they're like, God, he's against me. And he makes my life so hard sometimes. And they have no clue. Like, I am for them. I would give my life for them. Our desire as parents is to mold them into the people that God wants them to be and to follow Christ. And we're for them even when they're not because they don't realize where they are that the things they want could be destructive or the things they want don't make them the kind of people that God wants to make them into. And so we've got to protect them from that. But we're for them even when they're not for themselves. God is for you. If you're in Christ Jesus, he is on your side. And if that is true, who could possibly be against you? Right? Who could be against you if like the God who created everything by speaking and the God who is sovereign over all of the universe, who rules it with his power, like who could line up on the other side and and be against you? And you might think, well, a lot of people could. I've had plenty of people accuse me. I've had plenty of people condemn me. I've had plenty of people oppose me or don't like me. In fact, I can open up the New York Times. I don't know why you would, but you could open up the New York Times and you could read a headline like the religious people are killing us when it comes to coronavirus. We need to have science, not prayer, as if the two are exclusive. And I can't pray while really hoping they get a vaccine going. But there are plenty of people who can oppose us. And in your own personal life, there's people that can oppose you. They're like, well, there's other people that can be against me. God, what are you talking about? It's not saying that people can't be against you. They can't make accusations against you. And they can't be condemning towards you. What it's saying is, what weight do they really have if God is on your side? If God is for you, what kind of harm, what kind of power, what kind of weight can the people that are against you really have? When God's on your side, when God's on, when God is for you. And so who could bring it? And then look at like, so how do I know that's true then, God? If God, how do I know you're for me? The cross is how you know he's for you. Do you see that? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not graciously with him also give us, or with him also graciously give us all things? How do we know you're for us, God. Because if I gave you my son, if I slayed my son on a cross and killed him so that you could be made alive, then you are pretty much guaranteed that, there, that that's the best and the most costly and highest thing I could possibly give you. You're pretty much guaranteed I'm on your side. Like, I'm not going to give you my most precious possession and then be like, well, but I'm not really for you. And so how do I know I'm God, that you're for me, God? Because I gave you my son and I, I killed him on a cross so that you could have life. He uses, Paul uses in here an argument from the greater to the lesser. And so in the greater, like if I've given you my son, if I've killed him on a cross so that you can have life, then what makes you think I won't freely and graciously and lavishly give you all things? I think this is another thing we totally miss about God. He is lavishly generous. Like, I'm not going to God trying to pry blessings out of a miserly clenched fist. Like, if I can just manipulate God the right way, or if I can just kind of dance for him the way he wants me to, then he may unclench those tight fists he have and give me something I need. And that is so opposite. He's like, if I gave you my son, then that's 
costly. Everything else comes from an inexhaustible um, riches of his grace. And it's like pennies. Like, would he not give me pennies after he gave me his full fortune in Jesus Christ? And so if he didn't spare his own son, if he killed him on a cross, then God is lavishly, generously going to give you all other things that he determines are good for you. See, like if we as earthly fathers, Jesus talked about in his earthly ministry, if we as earthly fathers who are evil know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more does a perfect heavenly father know how to give good gifts to those who love him, to those he loves? Or if we being evil fathers know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more does the heavenly father know how to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? He's for us. Everything that he determines for our good and for our eternal good, he will graciously give us. Well, then, who is he, or who will bring a charge against God's elect? Who will come into the courtroom of God and say, guilty? Who will come into the courtroom of God and say, do you see, God, you say we're not supposed to gossip, but listen to them, God, they, they're gossip. Who will say we're not supposed to be critical, we're not supposed to lie, we're not supposed to cheat? We're not supposed to um, give vent to anger or to wrath. Look, they did that in the courtroom of God. Who's going to make that charge? Satan may. Your own heart may. But look at the answer. God is the one who justifies. And so if the judge of the universe, who will judge you one day and who will judge me one day, if the God of the universe is sitting down in his judge's chair and accusation, accusation, accusation comes, and he has already declared the sentence, you're righteous, you're justified, you're holy and you're blameless, what difference do the charges make? They can't stick, they can't hold. Because the judge has already determined the sentence. And then he goes from there. Well, then who is he to condemn? And this could be taken two ways. Well, then would Christ condemn us is one of the ways that these words could be put together. Or it might just be continuing this anonymous. Who will condemn us? You know, they can't make an accusation and they also can't condemn. Well, who is it that's going to come into the courtroom of God and condemn us? Look at the answer. Four statements about Jesus. It is Christ who died. And furthermore, has been raised and is seated at the place of honor at the right hand of the Father who intercedes for us. And so picture the courtroom scene. God the Father is sitting as judge. Accusations are made and accusations are made and more and more accusations are made. Would Christ maybe even come to condemn? No, because Christ died and he rose again for us. But, but now condemnation is being hurled. And what happens in the middle of this scene? Jesus Christ, the lamb standing as though he has been slain, still bearing the wounds of the cross, stands up in the middle of the court, spreads out his arms, looks at the Father and says, Mine. Not guilty. The price has been paid. So who's going to condemn? I've died, Jesus says. I've risen again from the dead. I'm at the place of honor and advocacy at the right hand of the Father. And I am pleading my blood. I'm pleading my gospel. And I'm pleading the work that I've accomplished over every person that belongs to me. The cross secures God's permanent, eternal love and bond to you. Who is he who can condemn if Christ is the one who has died? And if Christ is the one who has risen again who will bring the charge and so what does the recording of your heart play 
What does it play in the middle of your failure? What does it play when other people accuse you? And I just want to beg you to rewire with truth the recording of your heart. To rewire with truth. What does God say? God says Jesus died and Jesus rose again. Jesus' blood and Jesus' cross declare you just, declare you innocent, declare you loved, declare you accepted. And you play that over and over again in your heart until your heart believes it. And the first inclination of your heart when you sin is not to run from God and hide in shame, but it is to run to God and say, but Jesus has died and risen again. The cross covers this so that you are continually running back over and over again in repentance, over and over again and pleading Jesus' blood over your life, pleading his acceptance over you. And if you are someone who does not yet have a relationship with God through the work of Jesus Christ, I want to plead with you. He died on a cross for your sins. The wages of your sins being death, that is. And he died on the cross for your sins and he rose again. And when he rose again, it said everything that he said and everything that he did was accepted by God. And he now offers that to you. So that you can turn from your sin and you can put your faith in Jesus now. And you will be one that no accusation will ever stick to again. You will be one like Romans 8 says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You will be one that God is for forever. On your side, graciously giving you all that he deems good in your life forever on your side. The cross declares us righteous, so no charges or condemnation can stick to us. The second thing we see, Christ's love empowers us to live in victory over obstacles and opposition. Christ's love empowers us to live in victory over obstacles and opposition. Hardship, suffering, and pain come with some very specific temptations, don't they? So when you're sitting in home in seclusion or you're sitting and watching news reports and the cases are going up and and death is going up or you're sitting in the middle of circumstances that are really hard and really painful, there's certain temptations that come up. Does God really care? Have I blown it so bad that I'm beyond hope? These are... These are doubts that start to creep into our heart. Does God see? Does God hear? Does God care? Has God given up on me? And we're tempted with these doubts that painful circumstances throw on us. And and we we try to ignore those questions and we try to shove them down because we're supposed to be good Christians who don't have doubts like that. And and we know in our minds the truth. And so I'll just shove that down. And I don't shove that down. I don't hide that from God as if somehow God doesn't know you're doubting. And if somehow God doesn't know that you're doubting his love for you or you're struggling with your own, uh, that maybe you're beyond his reach. Instead, like, open up the Psalms. It's filled with, like, God, I'm going to come to you. God, I'm going to come to you. And then a whole lot of messy real life in between. And that's the way we're meant to process our doubts and our fears and our struggles is here's who you are, God. Here's the mess. Here's who you are, God. But don't stuff it down. Take it to God. Don't, don't let it force you away from God. But there is this temptation in our pain. And the answer to the, to the doubts, and the answer to have I blown it, and the answer to God giving up on me, and the answer to does God really care for me now, is found in the exclamation point of the cross. 
The cross forever shouts, yes, I love you. Yes, I care. No, you cannot possibly get beyond my grasp. The cross says that. You're not alone in coronavirus, right? You're not alone in your seclusion and isolation. You are not forgotten about. You are not unloved and uncared for. The cross shouts his care for you. So let's look at it in the text. So I want you to notice a change. It's the line of questioning continues, right? Question, answer, question, answer, question, answer. But what we started with was a legal courtroom question and answer. Who can bring an accusation? Who is it that condemns? Nobody. And so in the face of the courtroom trial, in the language of law, you are uncondemned. But now it changes, and we're no longer asking questions about law. We're asking questions about love. And we're no longer asking questions about legal standing. We're asking questions about relationship. You see, because the cross is not meant to just say, okay, you're innocent. Okay, you're accepted. The cross is meant to lead from a legal standing of innocent to a relational standing of love. And so look at the next question. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And the whole rest of the passage is going to deal with this question. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Because the circumstances of distress or famine or this litany of things that he goes into, the circumstances might be tempted to make us think, well, these circumstances and pressures of life can pry the hands of God's love off of me, can pry the hands of Jesus' love off of me. And so can distress Can tribulation, can persecution, can it pry the love of Jesus away from me? Do my, are my circumstances true when they say, see, God doesn't care? Are my circumstances telling the truth when they say, see, you deserve this? See, he's abandoned you. And the resounding answer is no. Right? And so this litany of things, it's not meant to be an exhaustive list, but some of these are passive, uh, are passive just pressures of life, right? Poverty and, and famine or natural disaster. And some of these are very active. They're persecution. They are direct opposition against you. And in the face of all of these combined things, the question becomes is, can it separate me from Christ's love? No, it can't separate me from Christ's love. And then look, he quotes Psalm 44, 22. For your sake we are killed all day long. This is the persecution side. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And so here's two statements I want to put side by side for you. That the text puts beside you. For you. Nothing can separate me from the love of Jesus. So hardship and pain and opposition can't separate me from the love of Jesus. But hardship and pain and circumstances can strike me. And so nothing can separate me from Jesus' love, but Jesus' love does not separate me from pain. It doesn't separate me from living through painful circumstances. It doesn't separate me from opposition. Both are true. And so the wedge of circumstances can't take me away from Christ, but they will hurt. And you've experienced that. Like, I don't get to escape the pain of this world. I don't get to escape the hardship of shelter in place. I don't get to escape... The reality of disease and famine and opposition. But none of that has the ability to threaten Jesus' love for me. In Psalm 44:22, it is precisely because they are faithful that they are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. And so they are not those who forget their God leading up to the passage. They are not those who have called on other gods. They are those who have stayed true to God. And it is because they have stayed true to God that they're facing and being struck by circumstances. But look how this verse wraps up, or this, this section wraps up. 
Who shall separate me from the love of Christ? Can these things, these circumstances, these pressures, these oppositions, can they separate me? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. So pain and circumstances don't defeat us. We're not meant to like live in stoic isolation, like I'm going to just get through this. We're not meant to live defeated. We're not meant to live discouraged. We are conquerors, not defeated in the middle of circumstances. And you may think, but I feel pretty defeated right now. I'm pretty discouraged. Well, look at the rest of the verse. Through him who loved us. It's not that we're great conquerors. It's that he's a great conqueror. It's not that we're great overcomers. It's that he's a great overcomer. In the cross and in the resurrection, he has been victorious. He has overcome. And we get to live in this. We get to understand that in the middle of our pain, God is very purposely working. And he does not waste one ounce of pain in his children's lives that he's not working purposefully in. He collects The tears of his saints in a bottle. They are precious to him. And so we are more than conquerors because the one that loves us conquered, we are also conquerors. And so far from these things separating us from Jesus' love as if somehow Jesus' love is in threat or somehow that I'm going to respond to these things in a way that's going to leave Jesus behind and blow it so bad that, that Jesus won't still love me. No. The conquering moment of the cross forever settles that we are also conquerors. That God is purposeful in his love for us and he's purposeful in his work for us in the middle of this. Christ's love empowers us to live in victory over obstacles and over opposition. So here's a question. Does God care? Yes. Look at the cross. Here's another question. Have I blown it too big to come back? No. Look at the cross. Is Jesus present in my pain? Yes. Look at the cross. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. With a love that is impossible to pry you away from, he loves you. Relentlessly, he loves you. In a way that cannot be conquered, he loves you. And if it's ever a question mark, then there's a cross that answers the question. And that's what we celebrate this week. That's what this week is all about. Let's look at the last point. God's love for us is stronger than anything or anyone else in all of creation. God's love for us is stronger than anything or anyone else in all of creation. And you notice like these, the interplay. It's like God's love, Christ's love, God's love, Christ's love. They're the same thing. And that's what this passage is unfolding for us as he's going in and out of the Father and in and out of the Son's love for us because they're both settled at the cross and they're both permanent answers over your life. And so let's look at it as he wraps this up. And one thing I want to say about this is like these last verses aren't meant to be dissected and deeply understood. They're meant to be reflected on and then turned back to God in worship. Right? They're devotional. They're not... They're not meant to be logically dissected. And so let's just read them again in verse 38. Or let's start in verse 37 again. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus.
Think about all the different fears that we face in life, many of which coronavirus brings up, right? Death and life and future and like what's going to happen after this and present. Like this is a really, keep my words right, stinky reality that we're living in, right? And so a lot of those fears that are in this text brought up, but, but really they're the big life fears that we, we face. And so the biggest one, like death, like Can life separate me and the circumstances of life and the hard conversations I have to have and the difficult relationships that I'm a part of? Can that? No. But what about death? That big, scary, final reality that awaits for you and that waits for me? Like, oh, what is beyond this mystery and this veil of death? Can that separate me? And then he keeps going from there. What about the spiritual or the supernatural? Right, because that's kind of creepy, right? Some of the best horror movies are horror movies about the supernatural and about the paranormal. And it's like, man, there is some creepy stuff. And and if you could really expose the demonic spiritual realm, like it would horrify you in a way that these movies can't even touch. But there are fears about the supernatural. Can that separate me? No. Because it's not death or life or angels or rulers, the demonic realm. What about the present? Like, our present kind of stinks. Except for those of you who keep going to Lowe's and making us all locked down that much longer because you won't stay home. Look, I'm somebody, I don't want to stay home. I want to go run errands. But man, they said go stay home and the Lowe's parking lot's more full now than it's been in like months. Please, let us all get out of this at some point. Can the present, what about the future? I mean, the future is so uncertain, and it always is uncertain, but it's really uncertain now. And like, is this going to end? When it's going to end? How long do we have to deal with this? Is there going to be a cure? Like, am I going to have a job to go back to? Can the present or the future separate me from God's love? All these different fears we face, life and death and present and supernatural. And what about places like heights? I'm terribly scared of heights. All right. Our, our buddies, the Harrises, are, are over in the, in the hills of Peru. And, man, I, I don't know. God just had a great sense of humor sending me to Peru the first time. Terrified of heights, and you're driving on these jagged mountain roads. Like, no. Can heights separate us? No. What about depths? And so time can't, place can't, life can't, supernatural can't. And just in case, in the corner of your mind, you're like, oh, what about this? Paul ends it. Nor anything else, all-encompassing, in all of creation, all of, all encompassing, can separate us, can separate you, can separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Now that becomes a really important point. What is it that keeps me secure in, in God's love? Because now it's God's love again. Right? Is it my religious duties that, that keep me in good standing with God and keep me in his love? Man, we can't even gather right now in this building. What about my, my consistent daily quiet time where I read the Bible and I pray? Does that keep me in God's favor and in God's love? And I'll have a good day if I do it and a bad day if I miss it? Man, if that's it, how inconsistent is yours? Because mine, I miss days. Or maybe it's like if I feel it. If I feel loved by God, if I feel good about it, if I feel worshipful, then... That keeps me in God's love. Man, how quickly do your feelings go up and down? How many seasons of your life have you faced where you feel nothing? And so it can't be you. It can't be your works. It can't be your religious service. It can't be your duty. It can't be your giving. It can't be your feelings. Because all that stuff 
is inconsistent and fickle. But what if the love God has for you is in Christ Jesus, settled by the cross, permanent because of the finished work of Jesus? Now all of a sudden it's not my work that keeps me in God's love, it's his. And now all of a sudden God's love for me can never change. And it can't go up and down and I can't lose it because it doesn't depend on me. And it doesn't depend on me. It doesn't depend on you. It is God's love set on you because of his son, Christ Jesus. And with that, let's close with a few practical applications about the cross. The first one, believe and be saved. Believe and be saved. I just want to put it as simply as I can. The cross is about wrath. The cross is about justice. The cross is about a rightful payment of a crime. But it wasn't Jesus' crime. It wasn't Jesus' guilt. It was yours. Have you ever been confronted with your sin that you have sinned? Not just that there's sin and not just that there's many sins, but you. And have you ever been confronted that sin separates you from God? And have you ever turned from your sin and put your faith in Jesus alone to save you? I beg you to do that. Like, that's what this week is about. It is about the dead living and the blind seeing and those separated from God being reunited into his love that they can never be separated from again. Believe and be saved. Second, declare the truth to all your accusations. Declare the truth to your accusations. Inadequate, not good enough, blown it again, guilty. What's true? What is true? I am righteous. I am accepted. I am enough because Jesus has done the work. I am loved. I am in his family. That's what's true. Speak what is true to your accusations. And then the next part of that, declare the truth to all your doubts. Right in the middle of the questions, ask the questions, does God care? Ask the questions, have I blown it? Ask the questions, does he even hear me? Does he even care? Has he left? But then answer them with what's true. That there is nothing that can separate you from the love that God has for you in Christ. And the cross settles the question, not your feelings. Declare what is true. Declare what is true. And then lastly, find a way to serve and share people. We're asking you to prayer walk. We're asking you to call five people. Some are in your circle and some are out of your circle. Some are a part of the church and some are not part of the church. But do that. Find a way to get beyond you to spread this love and engage others with this love. And so prayer walk, call people, gather with your Sunday school class this afternoon. Because we need to remind each other in our doubts and we need to remind each other in our accusations that there is a cross for that. And it is big enough for coronavirus and it is big enough for our guilt. The cross forever stands above all accusations and doubt. And so let the, let the cross speak for God. Not your heart, not your feelings, not your works. Let the cross speak for God to you. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we are those who are washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. We are those whose sin has been separated from us as far as the east is from the west. We are those whose sin has been buried in the depths of the sea. We are innocent. We are pure. We are righteous. Because Jesus' cross has made it so. And we are loved beyond what we can possibly imagine being loved. 
And it's true and it holds. And so I pray for my brothers and sisters out there. Uh, I pray, Father, for myself that we would know a love that nothing can shake. We would know an acceptance that nothing can accuse and question. And then we'd live like those who are clean. We'd live like those who are innocent. We would live like those who are loved. We pray for that. And God, I pray for those who do not know you that are listening to this. I pray, open their eyes and let them hear. Turn their hearts, God, that they might believe. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. And with that, I want to leave you with a blessing from from Thessalonians. And it says this. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with you all. Amen.